0: It's actually great um, to see how, um, as a community, one person, as Vicki here, has demonstrated what, what it is that we live for and what our faith would look like and what it calls and moves us to in our hearts in light of the events that happen here in our nation and even for the rest of the world, everything that's going on there. And it's pretty relevant. Um, even for our story, talking where we're we're picking up right now, we're we're going through a series. And I not I don't have my clicker, but that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. I don't need it. <clears throat> I will verbally communicate with you. Um, we're going through through the Bible uh, uh, in our summer and uh, early fall to mid fall, <laughs> um, and we're picking up the story today about. The the story of Moses, or more so, um, as I labeled it, his story through the Bible and the, the place that Moses kind of plays in, in God's story. Um, what we saw from last week is God using a man, a boy actually, named Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, betrayed that way, The dire of circumstances, but through that, how God used Joseph, this boy, to rescue his family of 70 at that time, and how God was able to orchestrate that. Before I go any further, if you could go to the next slide, I have this question, and in in fashion of hear and renew, if you could change it, yeah, go ahead. We like asking the most vague and difficult questions to ask before we start our message. So this is the one that I came up with. Why do we tell stories? I don't even know how you answer that, but if you can answer that to someone who's next to you, please do, because I'll give you like three to five minutes. If you can answer this, um, that'd be great. I mean, I could give you something, but it's such a general vague question. If you could turn to someone, hopefully someone who's, um, you don't know as much, but just groups of twos or threes, Um, if you can try to answer this story. And if you can't, instead of staring at each other awkwardly, why don't you share your story? Just a little bit. Go ahead. You guys can go. (laughs) Who is one guy Okay, if uh, we can uh, slowly wrap that up. That wasn't me. The, um, I hope, I hope that you guys are all able to share your story, Um, my story, a little bit. Um, So, my name is Paul, for those who don't know me. Um, I'm kind of like the fourth string quarterback so usually when the people in the normal preaching rotation that uh, an emergency comes up and they can't make it, they ask if I could come in and, and uh, fill in. So with that said, the Lord bless you if you need some rest. Uh, and then also in light of this weekend, if uh, for some reason you get up with your phone and you run out that door, I understand that you're trying to catch your Pokemon, so I will understand that too. You may capture him and level up, but I don't know what your soul is doing. <laughs> Just to put that out there. So, You may level up yourself on Pokemon, but I don't know if you will level up your spirit before God. So stories. Why do we tell stories? You know, I think something. stories are unique to us as human beings. Because we have the gift of language, um, we're not dolphins, so we, we don't communicate by clicking and and honking or whatever, it's how animals uh, mainly communicate because animals do communicate. We communicate, but we have language can, that can be used more than just communicating. It can tell a story. And oftentimes, stories is the way that we communicate to each other for a very specific reason. Um, for me, I... And I like it when that goes out. <clears throat> I will just stand over here. I like movies, Um, and you know, movies, there's one thing, well, I'm gonna go through some slides here, so I'm not sure if you guys will recognize these. Um, Yeah, this won't show how old I am, it won't, no. So uh, yeah, I I put the title there, just in case if you don't know what it is, but that's a movie, here's another movie for any of those who recognize that, Um, Usual Suspects. Here's another one that I liked, Stranger Than Fiction. Funny, it's a it's a story about a story about a guy. That's that's this movie. Can't leave out Batman, the best one, The Dark Knight. Yes, I got some guys that like that. And you can't leave out Pixar. So what I was saying, if you Google like best movies of all time, dude, like almost ninety percent of all the Pixar movies are on that list. Even like the new ones, like Inside Out is on there. I was like, what? Inside Out was good, but uh, anyways, like. But why is it that, especially if I'm going to focus on, why is it that these movies do well? Because they have a pretty good story. I, I would say of most of those movies, I don't know if any of you guys are movie critics. I'm not a big movie critic, but there is one criteria that I miss all of us would probably judge a movie by sitting through it and paying money for it, is if it was a good story or not, like if it made sense. (laughs) <laughs> these things about movies is you could tell a bad movie from a good movie because there's a pretty good consensus that when someone sits through things like, oh, yeah, that made sense. Or, oh, wow, that kind of moved me. Or, oh, wow, like, that was a really awesome story. And so a lot of these genres is, you know, it's, it's a good story. There's a twist at the end that's just like that aha moment. Or it's just, yeah, like, it's like, A riveting story that engages you and brings you into that reality as you're watching it Um, and you know movies that's that's kind of like one of the ways in which a story is told one of the most predominant ways our mediums now in this day and age but when you think about the idea of a story and even you guys talking to each other it's you're sharing your life and our lives are like a story in which it it recounts our experiences it recounts our perspectives as individuals among each other and then perhaps maybe at the national level at the world level our culture or our worldview even here as for those who are Christians what we believe in that's kind of the power or the purpose of a story And in many ways, all of us, we have family, we make friends, we meet our spouse, we raise our children through stories. And so this idea of the Bible through the summer, it's kind of revealing God's story. And there's a joke among missionaries in that when a missionary preaches, he can't start with Jesus. He actually has to start with Genesis. And then he works his way all the way to to Jesus to share the gospel. And in light of that, I think that's probably the, the, the main reason why Wilson wanted to do the Summer Through the Bible is to give you that context, that backdrop, that story, to see how God didn't just come here in a vacuum, but how he prepared this whole narrative, so many layers, all these strings, all these themes, and woven together to show us who we are who he is what he's done and how he loves us and going back to the idea of movies there i think one of the things that people could appreciate in the movies in a movie is when you when you're first in that movie or watching the movie, and it's just kind of like all over the place. It has so many different people in so many different lives and so many different perspectives, and then it excellently weaves that together to this culminating point. And you're just like, wow, how did they do that? And in many ways, I think the Bible is, I mean, God just crafted what people would say the greatest story ever. Where we're at in that story is... um, the person of Moses. And what's hard about squeezing 14 chapters into one sermon is you can either get lost in it or you can focus in too much on one area, especially when you're talking about a person as big or uh, an individual like Moses and his role in God's story. Um, But as I pointed out in the beginning, who Joseph was, just this boy, the 11th brother among 12, And how God used him to save his family in the same way God raises up in this story a man to save what would become his nation. The nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the people of God. And so even when going back, if you remember that God met this man named Abraham and he promised him through you, through your offspring, I will form a nation that's as numerous as the, skies, the stars in the skies or as the sand in the seashore. Too much to count. Too many. You cannot count it. And at that time, he did that just through one son. But when he made that covenant to Abram, that promise to Abram, he actually prophesied or foretold Abram that for 400 years, your descendants then will go to a nation, a, for, a place as a foreigner, and then they will be enslaved. And they'll be there until the right time when I will see them back to this land. And with that, that is sort of the prelude. Because where we left off last week, Joseph brought his family to Egypt because of a severe famine. He saved his family from starvation and from death. And so that's the reason why he brought them. And that's where we're picking up. Oh, where's the text? No good. No bueno. So... If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 1, 6 through 10, and we will move through there because there are several passages that I want to highlight. Uh, Exodus chapter 1, 6 through um, 14, but um, I'll go ahead and read that. Exodus chapter 1, the second book of the Bible. Um, And I'm actually picking up from verse 6. So Exodus chapter one, verse six. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all, the, all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out... We will join our en- um, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So, uh, verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. It repeats that twice just to show how, um, how hard it was. I couldn't imagine what 400 years would look like. We as a nation here in America is only 200 years, so double that history. As a people, one coming from prosperity in which your forefather was the prime minister of Egypt to we are now slaves. Um, for this, this nation of Israel uh, of Egypt, and for 400 years living like that, so we see here. This is kind of the backdrop of how God is moving this story. Now, in many ways, it's not God has caused them to come into this uh, you know this state of being to be in slavery. I think a good question, especially in face of tragedy and when bad things happen is the question is, how could God allow this to happen? But I guess in many ways it happens because each and every one of us exists in this world. I think if there was just one man, Adam, not even let's say Eve, just one person who God created and that one person was in relationship with God, only them two, That man could sin, and it would affect him, and it would affect God. It would affect the world. We saw that in the fall in Genesis. But the fact is that I have been born, and I am of one of billions now, and even billions throughout history, every human being that has been born is capable of sin. And we can see the range of that. I mean, even if we compare, like when I read these stories, you know... I, I don't say, man, I'm glad, or I don't say, like, man, uh, like, what's wrong with that person? I, I, there's, maybe that's the initial reaction, but what quickly sets in is I realize, man, I, I am not too far from that myself. You know, we're all capable of doing that because of sin. And it's funny, because that... that that's like, that was our story for all of us. And however that story is, how, it could be very tragic, very dark. Um, or it could just be, I don't know, normal, what you would say. Or it could be the American dream, you know. Those could all be our stories. But what we're presented with here is a new reality, a story that in many ways, because of our faith, we realize that this is the story. All the other movies, all the other stories, books, things... Even what we share, it is good. We we do that because we build that relationship. But now we have a story that has been crafted throughout millennial, and it's still living here and now. That is why we are all here. That is why I'm preaching. That is why you guys are sitting in your seats, is because of this story. And so what happens is pretty much... Similar to, like, here in America, is that a new person comes into power, this new person doesn't like the Israelites, that there's so many of them, and so he decides to enslave them, because he is the Pharaoh, or the king of the land, and that is just what happens. That is the reality of the world we live in, the, the power seat is with the Pharaoh, and because of just this, where a new guy comes in, he has a bright idea, and he enslaves the whole People group because of it. It is the prelude or the backdrop because God then shows His plan, and that plan is that plan is here in the person of Moses. And we see here that in this backdrop, all of a sudden, a child is born, a Savior is born, and you guys can see. You remember, we're going to talk about these themes or these these um, sh- these themes that run throughout like a string in these narratives. And just as we hear the announcements of Jesus, later on, a child is born, a Savior unto you, we hear in the midst of tragedy in which the Pharaoh gave the decree, any boy that's born shall be thrown into the river. Too many boys. Girls are okay. But his parents, that we find out of faith, they knew that there was something special with this child, even more so than just, this is my child because, man, it's my child. It's awesome and special. But even more than that, they had faith to defy the, the decree of the Pharaoh. And they hid their son, Moses, for three months. And when they could hide him no longer, his mom, by faith, if you could imagine, for the moms out there, putting your son into a wicker basket and floating him down the river and saying, God, I know there's something that you're doing. I am not going to kill this child. I am sending him and releasing him into this world. And down the river he goes. He is found by the Pharaoh's daughter of all people. Wow, awesome timing, right? And she opens this basket and sees a baby, a little Hebrew baby. And then she makes him his own. She adopts him. And she names him Moses out of the water. And that wicker basket, if you guys remember the story of Noah, is in many ways a little mini ark. And God has rescued Moses in that way. So Moses then grows up in the house of Pharaoh, trained, train, raised, taught, whatnot. But we see later on that when he's an adult, he goes back to the land where his people or the ethnicity group, the Israelites are, and he sees how they're oppressed. And he sees an Egyptian slave master mistreating or beating an Israelite. And so he comes to the uh, defense of that Israelite. He kills the Egyptian slave master. He gets frayed, he buries the body. Um, And then the next day, he sees two Israelites fighting as well. The text implies physically. And so he tries to intervene uh, on behalf of um, these two, and to the to the perpetrator, to the Israelite who is at fault, he says, "Why are you treating your fellow brother this way?" And that Israelite responds to him, "Like who are you? Who made you master over us? Are you going to kill me, like you killed that Egyptian?" And when he hears that, uh, you know Moses gets afraid and he flees. And we find out that the you know the pharaoh uh, gains wind of that, and he wants to kill Moses. And so Moses just hightails out. He exiles. And so, you know, Moses, he, if you think of his position and the the way this story is going and it's being set up, it's like, wow, that's pretty awesome. Joseph was a harder setup because Joseph was in the land of Canaan, like, you know, miles away from Egypt, and he was 11 among the brother of 12, and his brothers hated him. He got sold into slavery, all of that. Um, and then he, you know, through the events in which God worked and orchestrated, he becomes a prime minister. But Moses is like, okay, yes, he's, he's sentenced to death just by his gender and his nationality. Um, but he quickly ends up into the house of Pharaoh. And if you think of, like, these themes, uh, I, I don't know, I think of Iroba or something, who better to rescue his own kind or his own people you have an Israelite or a Hebrew raised in the house of Pharaoh, taught as a prince of Egypt, and he is a Hebrew like those that are enslaved. Who better to free them? And I could assume that Moses as well, like, you know, why not him? I mean, he he's pretty set up for it. But to the best of ability, all he can do is kill an Egyptian slave master, and try to mediate and get rejected by his people and run away. And so that is kind of where it leads off. But we see that what ends up happening, he runs away, he becomes a shepherd, and while he's tending, God then meets him. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the the mountain of of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from, I was doing that for, you know, sound effect, from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have, has reached me. All I have seen the way, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, you go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I, um, I think when you look at someone like Moses, like he's a prince of Egypt and just the circumstances, it's hard to relate. But when you look at more, you step back and you look at just the narrative of what God's doing, God is calling Moses. In many ways, as I said, God saved Moses. And I could imagine Moses, he's pretty like in his mind jacked up. I, I don't, I, the best way that I can relate it is perhaps to my own experience, eh, a little, some of you that maybe you're a second generation from an immigrant family. But you didn't grow up in a community among your peers who are also immigrants. You grew up in, I don't know, just by yourself. But you knew you were different because of physicality or whatnot, culture, language. And then you meet your people, I guess, and you don't fully fit in because you didn't grow up with them. Your values are a little bit different or a little bit tainted. So you're not fully uh, Korean in my case. And you're not fully, I don't know what it is, stereotypical American, just because you don't look it. So what are you? You're like just this weird hybrid person in the middle, or you're alienated, and you feel alone. And if you think of Moses, he, even though he was living in the house of Pharaoh, he grew up, he was taught that. The text doesn't show like when he came to realization, but it does say that when he was adult, he saw what was happening, he knew who his people were, and he stepped in and he intervened. He showed by his actions, agents, was towards, and it was towards his people and their cause as slaves. But they reject him, and he runs away, and he's in exile. And in many ways, this is where God meets him, like that. You would think then that when God shows himself, one, Moses would say, where were you when everything was going on, when my people are being enslaved, and when I tried, because of the position, miraculously, that you put me in, but they rejected me, and here I am just a shepherd. Did that, done that. Move on, and it's, it's funny because God says, I will rescue them. Now you go, (laughs) and I, I, you know, now you go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, and I think that's, that's just interesting because in many ways, God calls us to that type of a life. God, through whatever circumstances, through our parents, through, uh, through preaching, we came to hear of a story and it, it resonated with us. It gave us a new story in which our story made sense or our story could continue on. God calls all of us. He saves us in, in the way that He saves us. That becomes our story and that becomes part of His story as we believe and we enter into that relationship with him. But he doesn't only save us, but he puts into our stories the ability to serve or to become part of that, to live out that faith because we've been called, a call to salvation and a call to service. And in many ways here, we see that God has come back, revealed himself through this miraculous burning bush. That, that doesn't burn out or consume itself. And Moses hears who God is, and hears the call. And, of course, he has this dialogue then with God where he's like, oh, who am I that you would send me? And, you know, God answers him, you will go because I am with you. And this is your sign that you will be back here at this mountain with all the other people and that's what God tells him. And then he he says like, "Oh, you know, but I, you know, I don't speak well." And you know, God they have this back and forth to the point where Moses really comes to like, "Can you send someone else?" Cuz, you know, all he remembers is rejection is like, ah, you know, I just settled down. I got that new sheep. I'm married. I have kids. Can you send someone else to do it? I did that. I done it. It didn't work. But God does get angry he he elicits emotion because he's like no i want you to do this i don't need you to do it because i could do it with a blink of an eye with the changing of time all the crazy powers that they come up with superheroes god could just change time and alter a whole whatever no i want you to do it because the way that i see god is he's a god of one and he's a god of many to Moses, he was the God of one in the way that he wanted Moses. He wanted that relationship with him. And we see Moses had a unique relationship with God. The Bible says that only he and no other was able to converse with God in a way that none of us you know, would know. Moses got to see God's glory, at least the, the backside of God's glory that which normally God is so holy that people would die. And we see that when, when God, uh, when Moses heard who this burning bush was or this apparition of God, and he says, you know, God says, I am that God, the God that you heard about probably from your mom and, and your people, even though you're in the house of Egypt. I am the God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when he did that, that's when Moses fell on the ground because he was afraid but God wanted Moses but God wanted Moses to also be his vehicle to go to Pharaoh and deliver his people and that's kind of how God is calling all of us as well that to each and every one of us he is the God of one but he is not only the God of one of you he's a God of one of many And so all of us, he calls us to salvation. He calls us to relationship, but he calls us to service. You know, in each and every way that he calls us. And that's what makes our stories unique. And that's what makes all of our stories now here as a community of faith, here at Renew, unique as well. We see that um, Moses takes up that call. Um, and then in it there's a series of plagues signs in which God then starts to show his deliverance for his people there's a total of ten plagues and I won't you know I'm not going to go through each of them but what's interesting to know is that the way in which God shows or reveals himself it's usually by a natural a natural object or natural something that is natural but for supernatural purposes. So in the case of the burning bush, it's a bush. We see bushes all the time, and we see bushes on fire here in California too. But we don't see a bush not consume itself if it's on fire. In the same way, one of the signs was Moses' staff as a shepherd. God said, Throw it on the ground. This will be a sign to show that I am with you that you, it is a sign, to, especially to the people of Israel, now God's sending him back, that he's not some crazy guy that's like, hey, I met God in the wilderness, and he told me I'm gonna deliver you guys. But God says, as one of the signs, he throws a staff, which shepherds need, onto the ground, and then it becomes a snake. And in many ways, these plagues then, these signs in which God starts to reveal his deliverance for his people, the blood, uh, water turning into blood, the, the plague of frogs, gnats, flies, livestock becoming sick, boils, hail, locusts, and even darkness. These are all natural occurrences. People see gnats, people see locusts, flies, um, even, you know, boils or pimples on the skin, frogs. But it is in such a way that these natural occurrences have a supernatural purpose. I often wonder, like, why God just didn't, I don't know, do something crazy, like, just so crazy, like, send an ogre from heaven that just, like, you know, delivered them, I don't know, I'm I'm just, but, you know, it's, it's, that is also similar to our faith in that I know there are some testimonies I heard that are really crazy, like, awesome crazy, but that is for the one, not for the many, um, I think that if God did something so beyond, it would just leave us no option or choice, because that's, you know, it's just not his style. Even in, in the Bible, everything, every miracle he does, it is through it is through the fabric in which he created things, but it is supernatural in the way that it shows itself. I think creation itself and salvation are almost one and the same thing. We see that the God in Genesis is the same God who delivers. The God who created the world is the same God who then delivers his people from slavery. He uses these natural means. He uses them in a way that they are supernatural. And what's interesting is like the at least some of the signs, like the one with water turning into blood and even the the staff becoming a snake, we see in the text that the Egyptians, they had, they had like their own magicians and stuff, and they would mimic that type of sign. They would, it, it doesn't reveal how they do it, but in their secret arts, they would also turn, throw their staffs on the ground, and it would turn into a snake. And when the pharaoh would see that, he would harden his heart. It's kind of like, eh, not that special. And that's how I think, like, dude, why not God just do something crazy? But it did get to a point where the magicians were like. Sorry, Pharaoh, their, their God is just nothing that we've ever seen before. And as we would see, where, where we're picking up here is this idea of the Passover. This is the 10th and final plague or sign. And where it says here, The Lord said to Moses Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his, ha- for his family, one for each household the animals you choose must be year old males without defect and you may take them for the sheep from the sheep or the goats take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs i'm sorry can you guys even read this yes. uh, I- I hope, I'm sorry, it's small. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now the final, pl- all the plagues leading up, those they had a purpose in revealing God slowly delivering his people but this final plague which then becomes the institution or the religious holiday or the day of remembrance called the passover to the jewish people it is unique because this is the plague in which god said i will deliver you we find that he tells the people how they eat that lamb that they slaughter before you know and they put the blood on the post as a sign for god to pass over them and not judge them with the that judgment he's bringing to the egyptians they're supposed to eat it standing up, dressed, ready to go. And in a, they're, they're eating it hastily. They can't prepare like this full spread, but they're they're preparing it, they're eating it hastily, and they're waiting because the idea is after this judgment passes, you're gonna go. Just like that. This is your deliverance. And so this, in many ways, if you saw in the other slide, this becomes a, the first day or this will mark the first day of the first month of your calendar. And God is now starting to, he makes up their calendar for them. This is that special day in which you become, were slaves and now become a nation, a free nation. And then we see later on that um, as, as the, the, that judgment comes upon the people of Egypt and God spares, you know, uh, the, uh, the Israelites, Pharaoh just says, Go. Go and take whatever you ask for. You know, the people at that time, the Egyptians were predisposed to just give them whatever they said. Give us, you know, oh, you know, we need money, we need stuff, take it and go. And they go. But then Pharaoh later on changes his mind. He's like, What was I thinking? He goes after them, and that, of course, leads to the crossing of the Red Sea. The final pivotal moment in which God tells Moses, Do not be afraid. This day you will be saved. And you will not have to worry about the Egyptian army again because you know God parts the Red Sea, they cross through it, and um, the Egyptian army drowns. They, they pursue him and it, it washes over them. So we have this story then of, of Moses. We have this story in which God uses this man similar to he uses a lot of people, and you'll see as we move through the the, narr- the biblical narratives how God has called him, has used them, and how his role then, shapes and plays its part in what God has finally revealed to many of us. It's all, often weird like we are at the back end and we're looking, you know, we're at the, the back end, we're looking towards the, you know, the previous part, seeing how this all kind of came about. But even now, like, the, the, the Bible, you know, it ends with revelation and it shows us the final end as well. But here we are, here and now, 2,000 years you know, from when Jesus, you know, was born and and was crucified and r- rose again from the dead, but we're all here because a lot has happened in two thousand years since then. But all of us starting to live out our lives to write that story and how that story connects to his story. It's it's unique and it's beautiful and not only our stories but how like god has taken a man like wilson and i joked to nina when i was talking to the children, it's like well you didn't have a choice you married him so you you know well, you know whatever you chose to marry him and you're in that story but when when god gave a vision or a dream to wilson to start a community and how now almost two years we're living that out and how That story shouldn't end with just Wilson, but each and every one of us, we extend that, our lives as well. And, you know, I think um, Greg was mentioning just, this, when you look at this world and you look at our circumstances, and even the heart-wrenching example that Vicky was sharing about how that mother is burdened with this idea of raising her son in a culture of, like, fear. Like, how do you raise someone like that? I, I remember in my single self, like, you know, I, I when I was in the military, I, I went to Iraq. I got super jaded. I came back home, and I got super jaded even more. And that was hard. And in my single self, it's like, why would I bring children into this world? Man, this world sucks. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the complete story. Yeah, I think you could get stuck there in the darkness and just say there's... There's nothing for this world. But you'd be missing the point of this story that we have before us. There's the opposite end, especially here in America, but I mean, we're seeing a lot of tragedy and reality showing itself through what's happening. But you know, I don't know, maybe in the Orange County life or the American dream, you could forget the darkness and you could live in the bubble and life can look like Disneyland or your desire and your ideal is to make it that way. But that's not the complete story either. We know that's for, you know, we know that's not real. But you can walk the middle road. You could hear this story that even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of joy, even in the midst of, you know, children being born, life being beautiful, which it is, all of that has its purpose and its place. All of that actually has hope, regardless of where you're at. And hope is the one thing that we have, that we gain from this story. I want to close with the idea that, you know, we... we have this, um, kind of this expose on the place of, uh, Moses in this story, and they call it, like, the, the Heroes of Faith, or the Hall of Faith. And we see that, um, This idea of the story, it it gives us the gift of faith. Faith, uh, according to Hebrews 11.1, is confidence in what we hope for and insurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients, the people like Abraham and Moses, were commended for, that they didn't just live their life, they didn't just write a meaningless story, they believed. They had faith that the God of the Jews was the God and the creator of the universe. But here now, even as Christians, regardless of our ethnicity, whether we're a Jew or a Korean or black, white, whatnot, that we say that is our God too. That the God who revealed himself through this story, through the people of Israel, he came as a Jew, as Jesus, This is the same God who created the world, and this is the same God who will reconcile this world too. I didn't see it, I read it, but that's, I have the gift of faith that this great story that other people would call a myth, just a good story, a fabrication, whatnot, that I have, by God's grace, the ability to believe that, to see that my story, in light of that story, I can write something beautiful. Even in the times when I look at my own faith, when I look at myself in the deepest recesses or darkness in my soul, and how I could feel like a slave to sin. And that's the reality is that as humans, each and every one of us, we, we, you know, we, at one time or another, our story was sin and that was the end of it. The end point was death. Sin, death. I sin against myself, I sin against God, and I sin against other people just by the mere fact of my existence. That's pretty crappy. I would have said the S word, but that's a pretty crappy story. You know? Being born into slavery. And my only outcome is death. And that's the beauty of salvation or deliverance. We see it in real time or in the in the story of the Israelites and through Moses. But we experience it here and now as well. This is our story. Abraham is our spiritual father. Jesus is our savior. Let's pray. Father. It's. It's awesome. It's awesome how you have designed us in a way that we could communicate to one another, to build friendships, to draw close to one another through sharing of our experiences, of the account of our life, and how that is our story. But that you don't just leave us with that story, whether it was a great story or a pretty crappy story. You give us the best story of all, and that's a relationship with you. You communicate us, you communicate to us, through your son through the word and even then Lord you form a new family a new church a new people regardless of even the confines of our physical bodies what race what nationality what gender that you would call us our own you would call all of us your children simply by having faith by believing that your story is our story and how you can make us beautiful We pray this all in your name. Amen.